five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your geek week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. This is the Winning Warcry segment. This is Winning Warcry 5, Soulblight Gravelords, and we're going to talk about our event at Huzzah. Jason, Dan, thanks for coming to the show. Good to be here. So happy I could make it. <laughs> I, I am very excited to talk with both of you today about our event that we did last Saturday. It was kind of, for me, it was prep for the Las Vegas Open. I wanted to run some of the tomb of champions uh 2021 missions and uh, i can't wait to get your readout dan and jason you and i have talked quite a bit about it already mm-hmm. but uh a lot of good stuff this weekend so <clears throat> let's uh let's get started um jason uh you working on anything on your hobby table um well this is funny so i you know i finished I had I uh, was trying to finish my ogres and those pesky nobblers. I finally, I finally got them painted and in the army. But what's funny is I think you were coming to pick me up for the event, right? And um, you called me or you you called me. I called you back and you were like, "Yeah, I'll be there in ten minutes." So I was like, "Okay." I hadn't even flocked the bases for <laughs> my nobblers yet. I was like, "Crap!" So I was like, you know, very quickly mixing you know PVA glue and water and like putting the flock on and like last minute paint touches up until like a minute before you arrived. Um, but I got them done. And so I said, cool, I'm gonna take a break. And my daughter said, I want to paint, uh, I want to paint some of those guys. And so we built up a few and the, and you guys will appreciate this. We built up a few. Um, I kind of, I said, let's go ahead and let's use a contrast paint. It'll be easy. Here's a green, you know, like something camo shade green or something here. Use this on the skin. And I said, don't, you know, I've got other ones for the other parts of the body, but just let me know when you're ready and I'll come back down. So go ahead and, and paint the skin on these three, three little goblin thingies, right? So I come back down a little bit later and, you know, bless her heart, she's trying to be proactive and not bother me. She decides to get into the Sigor Brown contrast paint to paint their, um, to paint their uh, clothes. But her idea of how to use this paint is to not slowly dip into it with the paintbrush. It's to pour it out into the paint palette so that she can then access oh. it. So she oh. poured out. Oh, poor girl. The way you would do for any other reasonable paint. <laughs> oh, man. She did everything right and yet was still wrong. Yeah. So she poured out half of my pot of Sigor Brown contrast into the, uh, into the paint palette. Thanks, to- GW. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, I come down. I'm like, hey, so what? What happened here? You know, you know she, she's like, and I look at her, her goblin, and it looks great. And I'm like, you, you did a great job, babe. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk out of the room now. Uh, she was like, and, uh, it's half the pot. Uh, That'd be four and a half dollars. Yep. Let's see. That's five, five fifty right there. That's okay. It's to see a smile on your face, it's worth it. Right. 
So right now, my hobby table actually has my daughter. My daughter's painting up a bunch of the extra uh, models I had just for fun. Nice. Oh, that's very good. Now, if I remember correctly, you're looking for a new Yeti model. Yeah, I figured <clears throat> we can jump into that when um, when we get into the list a little bit later. But uh, I did I learned a lot from my list when we talk about the event. And one of the things I learned was that uh, the Frost Sabers, I loved my models, my Frost Saber models. I thought they looked really good. Um, but the profile of the Icefall Yetis fits really well into my list. And so I'm trying to look for a good Icefall Yeti proxy because we talked about this last time. Just like the Frost Saber models from GW are really outdated, I think the Icefall Yetis are also in that category of need a refresh. Uh, so I got yeah. no problem proxying that with um, in, you know, another design from someone else that can make the table look a little nicer. But I'm trying to find a good Yeti look that doesn't just look like Sasquatch or Bigfoot walking around on the table. Because that's what a lot of them seem to look like right now. I'm telling you, go with the Claymation you know rudolph yeti you know that's the one you should look for <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna have cornelius there with him <laughs> right. it'll be great a dentist <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh very good very you know good. what that might be a pretty funny table layout actually but anyways yeah we'll see uh, yeah i think it'd be pretty funny dan dan what are you working on right now so uh i've been painting some caradron overlords um my wife was incredibly kind and got me um, the like intro box of speed paints. Um, oh, from uh, Army Painter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so nice. um, I just have like a few of those, and I had heard. So for my workflow kind of thing, the fact that um, they reactivate if you paint over them is a pretty big issue like i use a lot of contrast paints but i then paint over them mm. um i sort of use them for my whole like mid-tone and shadow and then i paint my highlights on top uh speed paint you can't really do that but i tried doing mm. more underpainting, and then i had heard that they're really good for wet blending and it turns out they absolutely are um they don't really dry quickly so you know i've kind of been doing some experiments on huh. how to kind of make that work um and kind of use how because they take ages to dry ages yeah. and so trying to use that to my advantage a little bit um and just kind of enjoying that it's coming out bad um <laughs> because <laughs> you know caradron overlords i like them but i don't love them it i'm more like i want to have a warband of them because they're so unique in Warcry and they're so interesting and so I've just been wet blending um, them to kind of look like a sunset. So they've got yellow heads uh, kind of transitioning through orange into red and then through red into purple shoes. Um, okay. To kind of, you know, to try to have the whole thing be like a sunset. And then, you know, because that sunsets are in the sky and then overlords are in the sky. So they'll be like, I haven't thought of the name yet, but, you know, some sort of like Lords of the Sunset kind of vibe, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot about kind of how these paints work and if I were going to do it again and I might, cause I've done the balloon boys and the Arcanauts, so uh -huh. I could get some thunderers for Warcry to kind of finish out having all the options. And so I've been, you know, thinking about if I were going to do this again, you know, some slightly different approaches I would take and, um, yeah, no, I, I like the paints. 
we had an episode a couple back with the other Dan that um, painted a whole bunch of models with his speed paints, and he really liked them. Um, I think he ended up also getting some contrast and saying that they're pretty equivalent, um, but that he did really like the range that you got with that beginner box of Army Painter speed paints. Mm-hmm. So I find them to be pretty equivalent if you use them the way it says to oh just like slop them on you know what i Uh mean the way it says to use them but um it's it's like a certain look when you just do the slop them on right and i've been trying to been trying to think about this uh because i'm flying down to you guys for this nova open painting competition right so i've been trying to think about like what my workflow is for creating how i would like what my style is i guess you would say for like a painting competition and i don't want to just like end on contrast or end on speed paint so i find them to be pretty different um like very very different but the the end result if you just use them how the directions say is yeah absolutely the same yeah that's very cool so we're going now the the ko box that you're working out of is was it like um was it a couple of boxes or was it the warcry box um, no, I, uh, actually eBayed them. So, okay, okay. you know, you can get some Arcanauts for reasonable because they're in the, uh, or not Arcanauts, you can get the balloons for a reasonable price because they're in the, uh, start collecting, um, along with the boats and people just mm-hmm. get it for the boats and then just pawn off the balloon guys. Um, and the balloon guys are good in Warcry. So, right, you know, that's yeah. kind of a nice deal. And then I got some Arcanauts and, uh, that's what I've got so far. And so, yeah, nice. just need a box of Thunderers and then I have every option. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I had picked up a Warcry box, and uh, that was really fun to paint up. So uh, I always kind of like their aesthetic a little bit. I know, Jason, I don't think you're crazy about their aesthetic. You don't feel like they fit in in AOS. Not not too much, but that's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I like I like their aesthetic, and I agree it may not match Age of Sigmar necessarily, but I think that the dwarf steampunk look is cool yeah i think it i think it is i think it is cool i think um there are a few armies that i've seen hit the table that feel a little out depending on how they're painted um uh, cities of sigmar is another one that i think if done in a certain way it feels a little like not in the right time period with the rest of the things that hit the table Agreed. i've seen they cities can of be Sig- very german yeah well <laughs> but yeah it, it has <laughs> No, I mean, I, that, that was kind of a silly comment. It's self-evident. But, like, you know, they feel historical, I guess. Right. right. That's kind of what I was getting yeah. at, too. Yeah. They, they, they could feel a little bit more like you're playing a historical minis game if they're painted a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my KO will kind of stick out like a sore thumb because of that reason, right? And I've done this, like, con- this uh, like concept paint job of painting them like a sunset. And so, yeah, they don't really look anything like anything else I've, that I've got. Yeah. Um, I actually don't love the aesthetic, but I love, I give things so many points for being unique, you know, and they're yeah. incredibly unique. That's yeah, it's sure. one nice thing when you, you know, to have these war bands that are, that do feel uh, different from each other. It makes for a fun, fun game across the board, uh, especially in narrative play. Yeah. So for me, um, I was working like a dog to get a bunch of terrain done. For this event and i finished five out of well four and a half out of eight tables yeah and it was great man the terrain looked amazing that uh it helped with every game felt immersive at every table so you did an amazing job on the terrain 
Thank you. Thank yep. you. I uh, it, I especially it, loved the uh, glossy washes that you put on. <laughs> so this is kind of a funny story. I um, have the uh, Red Harvest Terrain, and uh, Jason looks at my Red Harvest Terrain, and he's like, how'd you get that like oily finish on it? I mean, it looks kind of cool. And I'm like, well, that's a funny story. I got some Agrax Earthshade, and I didn't look carefully enough, and it was the gloss Earthshade. <laughs> and so when I, like, washed the whole thing with some Agrax, right, like, all of a sudden it sh- it dried super shiny. I'm like, it, oh. But it worked for Red Harvest, though. Right? Yeah, it yeah. works great because it's supposed yeah. to be oily. Yeah. 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 And so and so I it was super – it looked super wet and super shiny. And I still dry. I mean, I, I dry brushed over it a little bit, so it knocked it back a little bit. But it does it does fit the aesthetic for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> it was just one of those oops accidents that kind of ended up working out. But uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so I've got I'm staring at two full boxes of terrain, six trees, and I have to finish. I actually have to finish painting my base set. Like I haven't done any of the metallics of the base set, so. I got to finish that before the Nova open and also think about doing my own uh, capital palette entry for that. So that's like on the docket that I really need to start like buckling down on. Yep. So that's, that's like my table. My table's taken up. Now the good news about the terrain that I have to do now is it's all like airbrush base coating with a whole bunch of dry brushing, which I figured I've, I've learned a lot doing this terrain on dry brushing effectively. So um, I think I can knock these out pretty quick. Some of the, uh, like the Red Harvest terrain took forever because of all that banded metal and like, you know, little mm-hmm. wooden barricades and all that stuff. Like those just kind of a pain in the butt. So, yeah, this will go faster. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. But we're, the painting never stops. In fact, I got the, um, I got the uh, uh, Orc Mega Boss commemorative model from the warhammer plus subscription uh in the mail yesterday and my wife is like why do you keep ordering these models <laughs> <laughs> like hey this one was free i didn't tell her it cost a 60 dollars subscription per year but so this one was for free and she's <laughs> right. like you know my kids yeah. are like paint your models and i'm like you leave me alone i mean with the yeah. base mega boss costing you 55 bucks it's uh, know, right? it's five dollars like- for a year of warhammer plus essentially yeah, exactly. And I I have one Mega Boss, and I would like another one. Just you know, like <laughs> wouldn't like, we all? You know, have one for Warcry, one for my other band. You know, good times. So, anyway, yeah, paint your paint your minis, kids. That's the moral of the story. So, uh, yeah, awesome. Okay, well, let's talk about some news. Um, Dan, I think you told me the other day that uh, some Harrow Deep cards are coming out soon, right? Yeah, so the White Dwarf is dropping on Saturday, so probably one day after this goes live. Um, really exciting. Uh, all four of them. So Black Powder's Buccaneers, which is the uh, the Ogre Pirate with a bunch of pets, um, like a monkey, and uh, I think he has a bird, too. Uh, actually, a bird could kind of be a big deal for Ogres, right. depending on what that stat block looks like. Then um, there's the Thunderstrike, and they've also got a bird. Right. And, you know, just having you could only run one because it's unique. Right. But just being able to stick one bird in your uh, Thunderstrike list is going to really 
kind of help you out. You could get to six models a lot easier that way, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, then the uh, the Cruel Boys, and there's a guy with a net in the Cruel Boys group, and nets are always amazing in Warcry. Every dude with yeah. a net is, like, pretty good. <laughs> so um, that's, that could be pretty good news for, uh, for Cruel Boys. And then who knows what these, uh, like, sci-fi zombies are going to be like in, in Warcry. I have literally no idea what to expect from that faction, so do yeah, they who knows? fall under Soulblight Gravelords or Flesh Eater Courts? Like, where do they fall under? I don't even know. It's got to be one of those two, but I honestly have no idea which one. I kind of want to say Soulblight Gravelords because they have more of a zombie aesthetic rather than an actual, like, ghoul aesthetic, but I don't know. I have no idea. It's kind of weird. It's like, did you get these from 40k, bro? <laughs> yeah, they're a pretty surprising group. Um, but, you know, if they have a cool ability or something, that'll be that'll be fun. I mean... Yeah. I just think Underworlds in general and Warcry is just so amazing because of, you know, how much care they put into every sculpt. Um, yeah. So I'm into it. I've run the Dread Pageant, like, a bunch of times now um, because I just love it. And I've run Garrick's Reavers a few times, too, um, just because I just really like having those unique sculpts. Well, in our um, tournament this last weekend, we had um, both Jason and uh, Peter... Um, pulled from the uh bladeborne fighters to augment their list so with with good success with those so i mean we'll talk about that but it was interesting to see the mix and match in there too yeah absolutely and then we also the news keeps coming we've actually had quite a bit of news over the last couple months um the first one Mm -hmm. we were going to talk about we'll kind of go in reverse right so the next one is the return of organized play um, with yeah. OP packs for all the all the major games, and somehow Warcry sneaking in there as one of the major games, which is pretty exciting, right? So, so Dan, real quick, um, so maybe give us a brief rundown on what organized play means in this hobby. Sure. Oh, that's a great idea. So they, and you guys might be able to speak to this better because you have more relationships with tournament or like uh, local game stores than I do. But my sense is they are giving tournament packs essentially to a whole bunch of uh potential tos and game store owners um to kind of have game days they're starting with aos and 40k giving kind of new bits and bobs that you can use for prizes or for drawings um and then uh they said in the article that they plan to expand for kill team underworlds and Warcry as well yeah, I think it's really interesting um, because if you look at it, uh, you know, they they have one of the things that says this pack, right? This is the basically they'll send an organized play pack to a game store. And it says this pack includes mysterious terrain tokens for each of the players up to 32 that participate in an organized play event. So you kind of get a door prize coming in, which is kind of nice, right? Um, and you can't find them anywhere else. Like you have to get those, you get those tokens basically from playing in an organized play event. And, um, they also have bespoke trophies. And if you look at the article, the trophies are kind of cool. They're like etched glass trophies, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, so stuff like store champion. And I think that's, that, that looks pretty cool. And they've got, um, these printable certificates that, um, that you can print out names and, 
sign it and stuff like that that look that look really cool. Um, so I think it's great. It was funny because I was reading the article, right, and it said um, that every player that participates in an event run through the Warhammer 40K organized play kits will have a chance to win a golden ticket to the Grand Narrative in Santa Ana, Pueblo, New Mexico in November. So it's interesting because they're not giving a ticket to play in the in the uh, Warhammer Open tournament, which is the competitive play, but the Grand Narrative one. And if you go down a little bit further, it, you know, it said Age of Sigmar will have its own uh, kit as well and where you can win a trip to the Warhammer um, Narrative in New Mexico as well. Uh, and then it says future ones, like you said, Dan, Kill Team, Warcry, and Warhammer Underworlds. Now, the interesting thing is that later in that same paragraph, it says that um, Kill Team and Warhammer Underworlds will include the chance for a golden ticket to the 2022 Grand Narrative for Kill Team and 2023 Grand Finale of Underworlds. No mention of a big Warcry-like tournament. And I found that a little disappointing. I... I totally get being disappointed. I'm not too offended by it because, you know, we have only kind of just started proving that we can run events for this game, um, like as a fan base, as a community. And so we certainly wouldn't have by the time that they were choosing, you know, choosing their venues, choosing all their logistics, stuff like that. So um, I would bet that it happens in 2024. Uh, that's a long time from now, right? A year and a half from now, but right, that's kind of right. how they how slowly they move with this. And I just think it's cool that they're giving the support. It's going to make more LGS owners just kind of try to run the event on a whim. I think that's going to go really nicely with the uh, new expansion that's coming out soon. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think we're looking at a game where the future is brighter than the past, which I think is cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I think what's interesting is that, uh, like, this is a whole pack. So it's going to have um, not only, like, prize prize support stuff in there, right? But it's also going to have, uh, it, it'll, it'll give you missions. It'll give you, you know, basically everything you need to run this thing in a box. It's a tournament in a box, essentially. And for the game owner who maybe isn't totally into Warhammer, Right, maybe they are like focused on Magic the Gathering in their store or some other things, and they've got like a Warhammer community that wants to play a game, and they're like, I don't know how to do this. Well, boom, there you go, you have it. Right, it's something in the box, out of the box that can that can help invigorate your uh, Warhammer community. So I I love this for Warcry. I think that there's more um, people who like I would be willing to run an event. I just don't know how. And here you go. Here's something that can help you build up that community and get it going and i'll be fascinated to see what their opinion of what a sort of out of the box for new people tournament should look like as far as you know list building rules as far as what missions to run um yeah whether it'll be sort of the tome of champions or it'll be like a new pack of four missions that are kind of in the same vein of the tome of champions right right? because I love how like the deployment and the victory condition and the twist are all made to interact with each other in those Toma Champions yep. missions. So maybe that's what they do. I mean, who knows, right? But yeah, a lot of lot of interesting things yeah. to think about. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that, like, in the Toma Champions, it gives you a blueprint on how to run a tournament, and that's pretty unique to Warcry. I mean, I haven't really looked at, like, Underworld's books or anything, but if you look at, like, Age of Sigmar core rule books and things like that, it does not list out step-by-step how to run a tournament like it does in the Warcry book. You know, like, it literally says, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, and, and there you go, you can have an event. Um, you don't see that in 40k or Age of Sigmar. So, very interesting. I'll be interested to see these come out. I know that um, I've already reached out to one of my friends. It was James O'Brien who was on our Talking Warhammer podcast. Um, he's kind of the main guy for all things Age of Sigmar at the Nova Open. And um, I reached out to him and I said, bro, no war cry? Like, what the heck? You know? And he says, oh, let me talk to the GW events folks and see what's up with that. And uh, I was like, look, if, I'm not volunteering myself, but if it's because they don't have somebody to run it, like, I'm sure we <laughs> could figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I, I, I think it's kind of like what you said, though, um, which is we are just starting to get events, like legitimate events, not just like, oh, hey, let's get our friends together and run just some narrative campaigns through best coast pairings anyway. You know what I mean? Like these are like yep. legitimate tournaments that are starting to happen. And I think once we get some momentum that will show games workshop that we've got like a community building behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So, yeah. Uh, any other, any other news that's coming out? So it, this is a little bit old at this point, but it's definitely since the last podcast we did, and I think it'd be a shame if we didn't uh, mention. Had they released that Nurgle guy by the time we did our last podcast? I don't think they had, right? Uh, no. Oh, actually, no, they hadn't, because we talked about the horns of Hashut, but we didn't. Um, we did not talk about the Nurgle guy. Yeah. Um. Or so most people have probably heard it by now, but. Yeah, the, the new box is going to be Nurgle versus Slaves to Darkness, um, mm -hmm. kind of heralding, I guess, sort of a new world, you know, potentially a new world of, of these bespoke warbands. Um, there, there was only one before that wasn't Slaves to Darkness, and now, you know, now we've got two, even though it's still, I know some people were disappointed that it's still chaos, but um, they've also very strongly hinted that there's, you know, at least four total warbands coming with this expansion so um who knows who knows what we see yeah that'll be exciting that little model that he has um i love its aesthetic right so it's a, a gur right he's from gur and so you would think like nurgle normally of something like a blight lord right or blight king where it's like you know pussy and like rotting and stuff like that uh this guy doesn't really totally have that aesthetic I mean, maybe a little bit, but um, he's covered in a cloak. He's got some reeds going on. You know, he's got some um, uh, some things that are Nurgle-esque, but it definitely feels very Gur-ish as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fit Nurgle, right, is something that I've always thought was at least fit hopeful. Nurgle. I mean, because <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's nothing about... Like, when they explain what Nurgle means metaphysically or, like, uh, you know, the fluff around Nurgle, there's nothing about it that says it has to be bathroom humor. 
Um, it's just that right. the models they produce <laughs> are all bathroom humor. Um, and so right. you can you can go a bajillion ways with that with that faction. And so I'm glad that they've kind of gone. And I mean, Skaven Pestilence is that, right? They're kind of a, a totally different take on Nurgle, which I really like. Um, but yeah, having a third angle on Nurgle is kind of nice. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for, to see the rest of the warband. And I mean, we obviously got a glimpse of the Horns of Hashut um, during the Warcry Festival reveal. And so um, for warbands, though, uh, with you know this new edition, that'll be great. Four new ones. Exciting about that. Yeah, very good, very good. All right, well, let's talk about some soul blight, soul blight grave lords. Everybody's favorite vampires. <laughs> yeah, and this is a cool faction, right? Because uh, their rules are free. You don't actually have yes. to get any books if you want to play them. Um, I wonder if maybe that's part of why they were so popular at Adepticon. Who knows, though, right? Um, but yeah. very cool. Um, like, tons you can do. I mean, their model range is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Where do you want to? Where do you even want to start tackling this? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna say that with the Soulblight Grave Lords, like they've got such a good model range, especially with like the new stuff that came out. Um, with the Age of Sigmar army last year. And so uh, I think that because they have so many models and so many cool models too, uh, you've got a lot of different competitive lists that make them a pretty versatile army. Um, if you want to go like straight horde, you can. If you want to go like more elite, you absolutely can. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of different options here that maybe you don't have in other uh armies like for example you've got you've got the same summoning abilities um well similar summoning abilities to like night hunt but night hunt you don't i don't think you've got as many choices for good models as you do with soul blight grave lords absolutely i mean with soul blight grave lords you have probably the best pound for pound um just fighter not uh, as in like game piece but as in just like once you're in combat, uh, the grave guard with the big blade, you know, yeah. it's either it's either him or the spider. I guess the spider is probably better than the grave guard, but uh, grave guard definitely number two as far as pound for pound, you know, combat stats uh, in the entire game. Yeah, for sure. The grave guard are pretty tough, um, and uh, they don't cost they don't cost a ton. So it's great. So let's talk about some strengths of them, right? Um, they've got really good summoning, um, meaning that all of their leaders have access to the summoning ability. Um, so if, you know you've got two leaders that can do it out there. You don't have to, you don't have to wait for one or the other. Um, so you can use them definitely as support pieces, or you know you can just have other minions flocking around them as they're laying into <laughs> you know the enemy because there's some beefy leaders that are in this uh in this as well so and to be um, clear when you say yeah, summoning right um if people are kind of aos players oh, yeah, listening to this it doesn't work quite the same as it does for sbg in aos um here it's more it's just strictly resurrection you know once a fighter gets a taken point, yeah. down you can bring it back um, but the fact that 
you know, all your leaders can do it with all of the minions, which are just like the little anything made of bones, basically, or a zombie. Um, yeah, you know, is is incredibly powerful in game, and you can do some really absurd things. I saw, you know, the better players at Adepticon were kind of playing around with this, where you can have there are some kind of fast leaders like your vargoyle um your like blood knight leader things like Mm -hmm. that who are pretty quick and then you can take something that's been taken down over on one side of the board fly your vargoyle you know 10 inches somewhere and then just resurrect it plopping it down right next to the vargoyle and oh nice it if it hasn't gone yet that round, right, if they kill it before it does anything, then all of a sudden you've got this piece that you're essentially just dropping, parachuting it directly into combat. Um, it, as sort of a little tactical trick to use, it just feels completely overwhelmingly powerful uh, to be on the other end of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think Soulblight Gravelords is one of like the true horde armies in Age of Sigmar, if you want to play it that way. Um, and that goes to the cost of some of the cheaper models, like the skeletons and the zombies, right? They're only like 50 points, um, for them. So, you know, I mean, kind of around that, around that price point. So that, um, you can put a lot of models on the table with that. Obviously. You can, and zombies are basically impossible to chew through. I mean, there are... You know, there are warbands where even if the zombies did zero damage, you would mm-hmm. still lose on the objective because you just wouldn't kill enough of them um, just to get through. Yeah. Because their toughness for 10 wounds um, for 50 points. I mean, you see 145-point fighters that have toughness for 10 wounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So getting it for 50 points is just absurd and just how much beef you can put you know, just this wall of dead meat that you can put on the on the board if you want to, um, is is pretty incredible. Yeah, for sure. And uh, but if you wanted to go the other way um, with like a like a fast uh, kind of attack, you've got um, pretty quick models like the Vikros Bloodborne, um, the Vargeist. The, even the Vargasker, Vargasker, like, are have decent movement in them. And some of them have abilities where they can, like, ignore height, which can be huge in terms of movement, obviously, right? Like, it basically gives them temporary fly. So, um, like, the Vicaros Bloodborne, for example, can move eight inches. And if you can have her ignore uh, height, that's, like, that's moving really far, really fast across the board. Yeah, I think a single Bloodborne is a really solid hot pick um, for, like, super competitive lists with this faction Mm -hmm. as just something that can be running around the board, tagging, you know, various, not necessarily objectives, but there's just, like, bits and bobs, right? It can grab the gold while the rest of your your warband is kind of doing the fighty thing and fighting your opponent, and the Bloodborne can be fighting the mission. yeah, once we get into lists, I'm very high on just exactly one Bloodborne uh, yeah. in, in every competitive Soulblight Gravelords list. Well, and I think <clears throat> I think that kind of brings us to sort of like the main point of, of you know, the, the Soulblight Gravelords, which is you can go full Horde Army, 
You could go a fast army, or you could even mix it and still be competitive in all three, right? Like you, there, there's a lot of competitive builds with this because it seems like all the fighters have value. I think some more than others, and I mean, we'll talk about some of the mounted ones, but um, some more than others. Uh, but let, let's talk about some of the leaders. Um, wh who are your favorite picks for leaders in this in this group? Uh, yeah, if we're gonna just kind of alternate a little bit i guess i'll open serve with the vargoyle um okay. it's uh as far as sort of the big flappy flying leaders go there are better ones in the game but at 35 wounds and eight inch move flying um and then it's got you know it's the damage falls off actually really hard against Toughness 5, so don't don't fight any Stormcast with a yeah. Vargoyle. But against everything that's not <laughs> Stormcast, it does pretty respectable damage, and it flies around, it resurrects things. I already talked about kind of the, uh, the cheeky tricks you can do with the resurrection straight into combat. Um, yeah, I just think that this is a really complete piece as far as kind of what it can bring and what it can do to balance out what is, you know, like you mentioned, you can make a fast list, but that's not mm -hmm. where the powerful pieces are. Like your cavalry sure. isn't as good as the best cavalry factions cavalry. Like Eidneth Deepkin cavalry kind of embarrasses yours. But right. most of the time, you know, you'll have a lot of these slow zombies and Graveguard and things like that. And then this Vargoyle just adds this completely different dimension to what you're doing. And I think it's a really incredible uh, fighter that way. One thing I like about the Vargoyle is its ability that on a double, if it takes down a fighter, it can make a bonus move or a bonus attack action. Which, um, if you want to, if you want to hum this thing across the board, run it at a chaff piece that you know maybe has eight wounds because it could probably take down an eight wound model and then you know be able to uh double you know bonus move it after that so you could almost kind of slingshot it off of a off of a smaller you know eight wound model type of thing which would be kind of interesting yeah you get a pretty decent chance of that um you still don't take out eight wounds on toughness three on the average roll but but I think your odds of it are kind of in the high 30s, so it's definitely something that you can kind of try for. And, you know, yeah. the worst the worst that can happen is you just have two dice still left over for something else, you know, to onslaught one of your <laughs> right. grave guard or something, yeah. Exactly. Um, w one of my picks, um, what's kind of funny, is the Necromancer. Um, I really like the Necromancer, uh, but not because of his attack profile. His attack profile is actually kind of eh. Um, he does have a like a, a ranged attack that's got you know a seven inch range attack um, that does some good damage. You write three base six crit. The problem is it's toughness three or sorry strength three, and there's only two attacks with it. Um, so I guess if he's sitting behind a bunch of skeletons or a bunch of zombies or something like that, and just sniping at some of these uh, models that are trying to chew through uh, the hordes, like that's great. You know, like that that's pretty good. He could he could really knock off some damage if he gets a couple crits or something like that but i'm not really taking the necromancer for that i'm taking him because uh he's got a couple of abilities that i really like obviously he can he can uh resurrect some uh some models um he's got the 
uh, shambling horde ability, right? Where like um, or allows the minions to take advantage of the shambling horde if he's near them, uh, which you do kind of want to keep him near them anyway for the re resurrection. But he also has his siphon, which is actually not not bad, right? Which is on a double. You pick a, a friendly fighter with the minion remark, and you um, allocate a number. I mean, so you could take, you could pick a little, um, a little like skeleton or something like that. Allocate the number of uh, wounds on him that's equal to the value of the ability. So like a four or five or something like that, and then it could siphon right, um, and he would heal that amount. So you're really um, burying the lead here, though, right? Uh, didn't you uh, bring him up to talk about that quad? Yes, exactly. So I like that. I mean, I I like the siphon, right? So he's got access to the, the summoning resurrection abilities. He he definitely is a force augment, right, to the Chambling Horde. He does the siphon, but I love the Dance Macabre, which you pick a number of visible fighters with the minion rune mark equal to the value of the ability, and each fighter picked can make a bonus move action or a bonus attack action. I mean, goodness gracious. Like, let's say you get a four on your quad ability, which, I mean, sure, like, that's great. Four extra attacks from, like, your skeletons or, or zombies or even just moving them down the board. Like, that is such a powerful quad. Maybe one of the most powerful in the game. Yeah, people love that Necromancer quad. Um, there were a couple people bringing necromancer focused lists at a, at Adepticon. Um, yeah, it's definitely a popular approach to the game for sure. So, and he's 150 points, which is, uh, the very reasonable. Leader. Yeah. yeah. The cheapest leader there. So very reasonable for, and again, you're not taking him for his fighting ability, right? Like, sure, he might take off a couple of wounds. You're taking him for all of the other abilities that he brings to the table, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Sepulchral Warden is actually cheaper now. It's the uh, Bladeborn oh, okay. leader, but uh, yep. I do think that the Necromancer is better than the Warden. So, yeah, yeah. Um, certainly. And, it, yeah, 150 is a great deal for if you want to build around that kind of combo list. Um it's it's very doable and it's priced to move absolutely. So um, let's real talk quick, Justin, yeah, just my, uh, a thought on that, right? So I was looking at the Vargoil, right, and and the White King skeletal steed, mm -hmm. trying to compare them, right? Because the the uh, the um, the White King on skeletal steed, two twenty five points versus two forty five on the Vargoil, uh, same movement, eight. It has one additional toughness, uh, toughness of five versus four. You know, you're trading five hit points, but I think trading five hit points to go from 35 down to 30 to go from four to five toughness, I think, is significant. Um, and then it, it hits. It has strength on five, uh, hit on two fives, just one less. But um, I think that, you know, it's also got a range of two. I feel like the White King, you know, the only thing I'd be, feel like I'd really be trading there is... The White King's going to be a little tougher, stay alive a little bit more, um, but not be able to fly. That's what I would be trading with that guy. What What are your thoughts, Dan, on White King versus Vargoil? Um, I think the White King is good. I just uh, one of the biggest things at Adepticon, you know, in the in the first competitive tournament, um, 
you know, we were just looking around and it was like every single person who was 2-0 and had a flyer in their list, bar none. Mm. Interesting. And then um, I think I was the only player in the entire, both competitive tournaments, I was the only player to go 3-1 and or better without a flyer in their list. Hmm. Um, yep. So yep. when you're getting really competitive, I think or like just trying to go for like a broad range of missions, I think flight is so important. But if you know what your terrain is going to be ahead of time, for example, um, like if you're playing, man, what's the, uh, the nightmare forest terrain pack, uh, where they like soul drain forest. Yeah. Like there's no climbing terrain on the soul drain forest. So Uh that Mount keyword isn't really a drawback there. Um, Because the whole problem with mounts, right, is for any of those missions where, like, you have to kill certain parts of your opponent's warband and then they have to kill certain parts of yours, if all your hitting power is on your mount, uh, <laughs> they can just climb up on some terrain and you can never you can never win. Mm-hmm. Um, but on things like Soul Drain Forest or in games like Catacombs, they can't do that. And so if you know the terrain ahead of time, that White King is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the point, um, and it's a valid point, is if you're going to build a warband that's going to have flexibility to tackle the different missions, uh, flying is a key characteristic that you want to have in, uh, just based on the stats we've been seeing with games. So I would, uh, just that statement alone, I would say the flexibility that having a Vargoyle or a flying leader in place of the mounted mm-hmm. is going to be, uh, it's going to give you more. Um, more freedom to adapt to the mission and the opponent that you have around you. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree from a from a winning standpoint. Um, though I do think one of the strengths of Soulblight Gravelords is you can make super competitive lists, but you can also make kind of casual, silly, or like um, you know, kind of fluffy lists too, right? I mean, this uh, this Underworlds Warband with all the vampires. Um, mm-hmm. Those are some of the coolest models they've ever released and uh you know i could happily play just a warband of all four of those and it wouldn't necessarily be the most competitive thing um but man it would be cool yeah definitely um i i agree and we'll we'll kind of get into some of the the uh warbands in a little bit um, are there any other standouts for leaders? I mean, we didn't. The, the only ones that we really didn't talk about are the White King on foot and the Castellan. Um, the, the Castellan to me is, I mean, he's obviously the leader of the uh, Blood Knights. Uh, I mean, I guess so. Like, if you really want a mounted unit and you have it, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't really go for him. He's not terribly expensive. He's t- you know, 210, but I think your point remains, like, if you know what the terrain is beforehand, like, maybe he's a good option, but if I'm going into a competitive tournament where I know that I might be having, you know, different platforms and things like that, I don't think I'd take him. Yeah, on that same, on that same point, I, three move on a leader is just too slow, my oh, opinion. Oh, for the, for the White King up front? Yeah. Yeah. Just Unless so it's a ranged it's leader, just, just so yeah, because it's all your power, right? You have to be able to put your power where you want to put it, right? You have to be able to get those, yeah. get it into attacks. Yeah. Yep. 
Definitely. So I think the winners, uh, we didn't talk about the Vampire Lord. Um, I mean, the Vampire Lord is as good. If I mean, he's he's better than the White King because he can fly, right? That's the real key. Like, he's got very similar stats, the Vampire Lord does. Um, the move is a little bit better at five instead of three. Uh, he's got the same attack profile. I guess he's got one extra point of crit damage. Um, but... Uh, he's also like 50 more points basically than the White King, but he can fly, right? So that that movement five all of a sudden becomes a lot more because you don't have to worry about the vertical distances anymore. Yeah, and this is one where you know I was thinking about if you wanted a leader that could fly, but was a, maybe a little tougher. I wonder if this would be a good trade from a Vargoil. You're going to save yourself 20 points. Uh, to go up to toughness five and still have a flyer. And like you said, that that five movement, you know, you're going from eight movement on the Vargoil down to five movement on the Vampire Lord, but that flying is still going to give you a lot of freedom, so it might still be good enough if you need if you need to squeeze 20 more points out for something else in your list. Yeah. And you even get a tiny damage upgrade, too. Um, yep, yep, with the crit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That, okay, let's talk. That go, crit ahead, piece. go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead. You go ahead. I'm oh, I was about to <laughs> we could addition. we could bicker about every tiny little stat <laughs> and how cool each one is forever, but there's really no need. Yeah. So um, there's let's let's talk about the mounted units first, just to kind of get them out of the way. Um, so you've got blood knights with templar and um, templar blades and templar lances. You've got hell knights, black knights. Um, you've got a lot of skeleton or vampire horse riders. Um, what do you think about them as units? Uh, if it's if it's going to me, I don't really think about them as units. Yeah, right, uh, exactly. I think they're cool. I think the Blood Knights are, you know, just incredible looking. But uh, as far as Warcraft, I don't really think about them. No. As yeah, I was gonna say that like they're amazing in Age of Sigmar, like they're really good, um, but I don't think that they have a real good place in Warcry. Uh, it's just there's so many other better options out there, and it's really, in my opinion, it's the Mount uh, Rune Mark that really takes away from them, unfortunately. Right, um, but even with that, like their attack profiles aren't fantastic. I mean, they're really on par with like the some of the skeletons right like for example a skeleton is three attacks three toughness one and four damage and i guess like a hell knight is three attacks three toughness two four damage but it's double the points because it's got a little bit extra movement right and tough yeah a little bit extra movement and wounds so i don't know man i'd rather i'd i mean even on paper right now even without the room like taking the room mark into consideration I think I'd rather have two skeleton champions than one Hell Knight. Yeah, I mean, a Grave Guard has a better attack profile than a Blood Knight for 100 points less. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's pretty frustrating, honestly, if you want to run all those. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I still think they look cool enough that I'd absolutely run them in uh, sort of casual games. But, yeah, as, as far as if you're trying to optimize it all, I would yeah. I would stay away. I would I would consider... You know, 170 points for an eight movement toughness five is is not bad in my opinion. I think that if you have a list where you want to have you want to have maybe one or two units that's job is to run up and and poke or try to capture treasure or you know 
get on an objective quick or block. It's not a bad point value for someone who's going to be able to withstand a couple hits for a few rounds and be able to get up there quick, uh, even with the mount trait. That's just my opinion. You know, having experienced, you know, my Frost Sabres recently on my Ogre list, who are a very similar profile, they don't obviously they don't have the mount thing there, and they have one additional attack, but and they're not toughness five, but 170 points, movement eight, and they can last a few rounds to get up in your face and cause a problem. I don't think it's bad if you've got 170 points to play with. Okay. Yes, I hear you. But would you rather, for just 20 more points, go with a Vargeist? Uh, like I said, it depends on the points that you're playing with, right? Yeah. There's yeah. How many times have you built a list and you just don't have those 20 points? <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah. And you're like, scrap it all. I hate this game. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But one cool thing about Soulblight Gravelords is um, you have so many different chaff options that I find you can often get to like exactly a thousand points, or you can often do a really good job min maxing. If we wanna, if we wanna talk about all those chaff options, they've got some of the best in the game here. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. move to the chaff right now. We can talk about some of the elite ones here in a bit. But um, really, the chaff ones that we're talking about, um, I'm gonna throw Grave Guard in there with us, right? Um, so you've got the Grave Guard with a with the White Blade Crypt Shield for seventy points, Grave Guard with a Great White Blade for seventy points, Skeleton Champion for seventy points, and then the real chaffy chaffy ones are the Skeleton Warrior with an Ancient Blade for fifty points, Skeleton Warrior with an Ancient Spear for fifty points, and the Dreadwalker Zombie for fifty points. So um, let's start with the bottom of the barrel: the Skeleton Warriors with Ancient Blades, Ancient Spear. Deadwalker zombies. What do you? Where are we at with those guys? I mean, I alluded to it a little earlier in the cast, I think, but the Deadwalker zombie is, um, you know, one of the five most durable fighters in the entire game, point for mm-hmm. point wise. I mean, if you like one of them, you can bring it down, but T four ten wounds. Not a lot of things can do that in just one hit, and then, you know, if you have ten of them, that's five hundred points for. 10 <laughs> right it's yeah. uh pretty pretty incredible right so that's just a hundred wounds at toughness four and it's only half your warband uh that your opponent has to deal with yeah i mean jason your nobblers are like 45 points right yeah they're 45 and they're toughness three with only eight wounds uh they're gonna get whacked off and you know the first time they touch anything basically yeah. But these guys, they are going to last longer. And I'll say, you know, the Nobblers are a four move. These guys are only a three. Here's a here's an interesting thought, you know. I think whenever I see a lot of guys that come to the table with such a, such a small movement, I think, you know, you've really got to hope that they're in your Hammer, Dagger, Shield, whichever one they're in, that's going to already be positioned in the middle of the board. Because if they get if you get one of those deployments where they're in like a corner, or a very small confined area they have to come in. If they've got a if they're coming in on round two and they gotta get to the middle of the board, like there's a chance they're not gonna be in the fight for a long time. Or you're gonna be constantly spending your abilities just to move those guys forward. That so that worries me a little bit when I look at uh, you know, something that's only got a movement three, and then if you got a ton of movement threes, I think it's a cool aesthetic to see a bunch of shambling zombies, but I worry that I might struggle to get them all in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with like a zombie, right, where you're like, uh, the attack profile isn't fantastic. It's two attacks, right? Toughness three, one four damage. 
Um, I think you're just like, I'm going to double move this and just try to get him engaged. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And then just use them as, use the horde as a tar pit around an objective. But you got to get them to the objective. Uh, Warcry boards aren't big, so I think it's very possible, but I think you might be burning abilities to get that tar pit up. And I think you just got to be prepared for that. It's a lot more punishing in the base game than in the Tome of Champions where you can actually, the Tome of Champions is kind of funny where there's so few of them. You can kind of game, you know, um, if you sort of look at them, the shield and the hammer in the missions where they're really important, they come in pretty close to what, to the various objectives. And then the dagger, uh, in the missions where the dagger is really important, it starts actually pretty far away. Um, so you can get away with a shield and a hammer just full of movement three stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you don't have it in your dagger, right? If you have a dagger full of movement three and you come up on a mission where your dagger is important, uh, you'll just lose. But um, Soul Blight Gravelords, the Toma Champions are a little bit more uh, forgiving to Soul Blight um, because, one, because the resurrection ability is so good in mm-hmm. a bunch of those missions. Um, like scour the resurrection ability will just often single-handedly win it but yeah um but those these hordes of toughness three you know you can fill up your hammer and your and your shield with these hordes and just put something fast in your dagger and kind of game the system that way um in a way you can't can't really do in the base game i think if you focus on if you focus on the ability to help move your army around faster, and like you said, balance balance out the when your hammer dagger shield come in, so that you're you're putting them in the right uh, grouping uh, or deployment group, um, it it could it could be a very strong army for an objective based game. Because like you said, you know once once you get those those dudes camped on where they're supposed to be like you your opponent's not going to have enough activations to chew through them to win the objective unless they're burning huge you know abilities from their army to try to do multiple takedowns and multiple attacks they're just not they're gonna run out of activations and having multiple activations when your opponent's done and then you've got a slew of activations left is so uh powerful in this game you know that the the value of additional activations is letting you respond to what's before you in the battlefield. So it could be a really interesting and fun list to build with a ton of those ton of those dudes on the board. I mean, we experienced that when you and I played at GuildCon last year, and I had the, um, the rat list with the rat ogre, and it was a kill the leader mission, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just kept throwing skeleton after skeleton after skeleton. And even the rat ogre, I mean, he was taking down skeletons left and right. But just couldn't get through them fast enough, mm-hmm. you know. So that that definitely played a big part in it. Yep. Now, uh, Dan, would you looking at the skeleton warrior with an ancient blade that has three attacks, you know, toughness three, uh, but with one inch range versus the spear that has a two inch range, but only two attacks, and compare that with the deadwalker zombie that's got you know one inch attack, two attacks. Um, would is there one that you would take predominantly over the other uh, amongst those three? Yeah, I would. I mean, if you love the skeletons, m- most factions in the game would kill to have them. Um, but in Soulblight Gravelords, I don't think they have a role just because 
if you want sort of defensive chaff, the zombie is just those extra two wounds for the same yeah. cost is great. And then if you want offensive chaff, you know, the Graveguard is the best offensive right. <laughs> monster, you know, other than spiders. The Graveguard is the best offensive piece in the game. So um, skeleton warriors, I think, are kind of caught you know it kind of in between even though I, th I think they're good right i think right. skeleton warriors are, yeah. are are really good it's just that uh this faction strangely doesn't need i wouldn't i, I wouldn't point. pull them i'd go yeah. with the zombies for the defensive chaff and i would spend the extra points for the uh, grave guard for the offensive yeah yeah so let's talk about the grave guard right the grave guard um I mean, you do have a skeleton champion worth 70 points, but for the same cost as a Graveguard with a Great White Blade or even the Blade with Crypt Shield, those are better, objectively better, because they have the same amount of attacks but higher uh, higher strength and uh, even higher damage in, in the one with the Great White Blade. The Great White Blade for 70 points is kind of a ridiculous model i mean it's completely unreasonable <laughs> he's got, dropping it he, to 70 points was ridiculous <laughs> yeah i mean he's got he's got a three inch move three toughness so like 10 wounds so he could he could die pretty quick you know uh would you consider him a glass cannon i personally like anything under 80 points with 10 wounds i think is very tanky very very tanky um okay just because there's so few Tanky fighters. Per point, right? Yeah, point yeah, for per, point. point for point. Because yeah. there's so few fighters that can deal 10 wounds in just one shot, right? Uh -huh. So if you think about, like, if you're going to charge a Grave Guard, um, you really want to kill it, right? Because if you don't, it's going to, if it double attacks you, you know, Oof. it could just completely rip any any model apart in the game. So. Um, you want to be able to kill it in one shot and 10 wounds is kind of a magic spot now where a lot of these kind of big flying leaders uh, that can just run around dictating the pace of the game a lot of them are really good at dealing eight damage um, so they don't quite take out a grave guard now yeah you know your opponent can do it if they put onslaught on there but then at least you're making them spend their dice you know just to kill this little 70 point model so you know, right. I would not call them a glut. They're not. They're not super tanky. You know, I wouldn't call them tanky, but right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call them a glass cannon. And again, it's the same amount of points for the Grave Guard um, with the White Blade and Crypt Shield, which gives it an extra point of toughness, but less damage and less strength. I would go with the Great White Blade though, almost every time. I think. Um, just because the extra strength and the extra damage is so nice. Yeah, and what do you I, guys think? I think they've done a good job recently kind of fixing the points for toughness, like higher toughness models, but yeah. I still think extra toughness is just a lot more important on high wound models than it is on these low ones where, right. you know, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that damage for that one point of toughness. Um, how do you compare it to the Seneschal, which is a Grave Guard, right? It's like a kind of the leader of the Grave Guard. Um, he's at 125 points, so he is like you know 55 points more, but he's got an extra attack, the high you know highest strength of five, uh, five and two four. So he's got the same profile almost as the Grave Guard with a Great White Blade, 
but he's got an extra attack and a couple extra hit points. So, um, would you ever take the Seneschal over the over the Great White Blade Grave Guard? I mean, if this is another thing where Soulblight just has so many good options that even pretty solid <laughs> yeah. units like the Seneschal, again, in lots of other factions in the game, I would play a Seneschal, right? They're not yeah, terrible. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. But the fact that you can get a Grave Guard and a zombie for the price of one, you know, I mean, that's just... <laughs> Yeah, right. right? It's that's like the true. Seneschal has one more attack. That's great, and some more HP. But you know, you could have an entire new model for that price. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and and one that's got toughness and durability too, right? So um, that's pretty good. Uh, the last couple models that we maybe should talk about or are, are units um, are basically from the uh, Cursed City box. It's the Vikros Bloodborne, the Vargsker. The Kasargi Night Guard and the I guess the Vargeist is uh, is not from the Curse City, but um, it kind of falls within sort of this the Elite Fighters um, band here. Um, I'm just gonna say right now I I'm not in love with the Kasargi Night Guard. Um, they're really beefy. Like they got 30 wounds, toughness four, right? Movement, but they have movement four. Um, they've got a high strength attack with high damage, but they only get two attacks. So. I don't know. I'm not in love with them. They're kind of going to be, you know, plodding along the board, I feel like, and hoping to get into combat somewhere. Uh, I would agree with you. I think before I took the, Kos, how do you say it, Kosargi Night Guard, mm -hmm. I would probably, I would probably just double up on two Grave Guards because then I'm getting six attacks at five strength, two, four. Yeah. Um, and only getting 20 wounds across those two, but that's two things that an opponent has to spread their actions across. And I've saved myself uh, 30 points to maybe squeeze in another Deadwalker zombie. It, it just seems like it'd be better to throw in some more of those chafe units or chaff units. Chafe. They totally chafe. Yeah, totally. They're chafing <laughs> on those bones. <laughs> And it's a good point you made about, you know, the, the spreading the activations kind of having its own defensive ability. So, like, yep. getting through 30 wounds on one fighter being not that much harder than or than getting 20 wounds on two fighters, where by the time you've killed them both, you've probably done maybe 28 damage, right, because mm -hmm. of the kind of overkill that you do on them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's an important thing to think about when you have an army that can bring a, a horde, right, is is if, if you got a small unit, you got somebody who's going to come up and do some alpha damage, they're going to blow through your expensive unit. But if you got 10, they got to burn and waste that all that alpha damage on one unit with one action. And so you can, you're actually almost getting more wounds out of your tiny guys because of, like you said, because of the overkill and the wasted activations your opponent has to do to burn through them, because you can't spread damage. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely one of the almost like core, like under core. It's like invisible mechanic of the game that yeah. becomes mm -hmm. incredibly important once you start playing. Yep. So we talked about the Vicros Bloodborne, right? You, you, Dan said to have a really competitive list, this is an awesome model having it, you know, for 120 points, eight movement has the ability to ignore, you know, vertical terrain. 
Um, it's a great objective capture. You can play the objective mission while your opponent's trying to chew through those skeletons and, you know, and uh, zombies, etc. So, um, anything else you want to add about that? Yeah, I mean, from a power perspective, I think you really you really summarized it. I would say from a fun perspective, I just hate this attack profile. Anytime your crit is this much more than your regular attack, <laughs> it just... Like, are we playing a game here, or are we playing Yahtzee? Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we I, gotta get to sixes, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the Bloodborne is an incredibly unfun model, but it is it is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, compare that with the Vargskur. It's got the same ability where it can ignore um, terrain. It's 100 points more, but it has two less attacks. Its strength on the attack is a little bit higher. Amazing damage, right? Three, three on the base, six on the crit. Um, a little bit less movement, a little bit tougher, a lot more wounds. Do you like this? Do you like this model at two twenty? Um, I don't know if I'm crazy about it. Again, you know, they just have so many options that I just wouldn't wouldn't go this direction. There are other factions where I would consider it, but not here. Yeah. Yeah, that it's the to me it's the two attacks that really make this thing struggle. Um, I also think that. I also think that this model, with how big it is, should have gotten a two-inch attack, in my opinion. Um, you know, because it's it's kind of beefy and got long arms. So, I would have given it. I would have at least given it two-inch attack, three attacks, um, and I think that would have been a much more compelling model for a two twenty in this in this faction. Yeah, I, and it's I, just big, look at right. The... Like it just it looks more impressive than the stat block is. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally. I mean, just think about what you'd be doing with it, right? At two attacks, five strength, three six. Even if you send this guy after little guys who only have a three, three toughness, you know, you're probably going to be doing. Let's just say one's a crit, one's a normal. Nine points of damage. There are plenty of little guys with three toughness that's not going to kill. And you just sent a 220 point model to kill a what, like an 80 point maybe? Right. And didn't kill yeah, it. Totally. totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's exactly it. Uh, and the last one, the Var guys. So this guy can fly, right? He's a little. He's kind of splits the difference between the Vargskur and the Kasargi Night Guard in that he's 195 points, four attacks, strength four, one you know one base, four crit damage. Um, he's he's the uh, normal troop, I guess, the normal fighter of the Vargoyle leader. Um, is Vargoyle that much better than the Vargeist? What do you think? I think so because your odds of um, one-shot killing an eight-wound model are just a little bit better, right? Because you can put onslaught on and do some stuff. But um, but I I like the Vargeist. I think that there's tons of reasonable reasons to pick a Vargeist plus a zombie over a Vargoyle. Yeah. Yeah, that um, I think a Vargeist could absolutely be a cornerstone uh, model in your um, Soulblight Gravelord, Gravelord army. In that, like, there's your fast model that actually has got some okay hitting power, right? Um, the attack profile is a little bit less than, I guess, the Vigros Bloodborne because you're at a 1 4 instead of a 1 5 in your damage profile. Otherwise, it's the exact same attack profile. So, 
you know, I mean, it does have double the wounds and another point of toughness than the Vicros Bloodborne, but it is 70 points more, 75 points more than the Vicros Bloodborne. So that's something to consider as well. So um, let's talk real quick about the um, Bladeborn Fighter. So there's like Soulblight Gravelord, and we kind of talked about this earlier. They may be getting a third faction in these kind of sci-fi zombie guys, um, but we don't know yet. Uh, for now, there's the Crimson Court, which is basically a bunch of vampires, and the Sepulchral Guard, which is a bunch of skeletons. Uh, let's start with the uh, Crimson Court. Prince Duval, he is, I mean, almost pound for pound the same fighter as the Vampire Lord, although he has a little bit less... I don't know, he's got the same... He can't fly, though. That's the problem. Um, he can't fly like the Vampire Lord can. And so he's like 20 points less than the Vampire Lord. Yeah, I mean, I think Prince Duval is fine. I think all of the vampires are good enough that you can play them if you love the sculpt. If you, you know, I mean, these are big professional painters love entering painting competitions with these things. Uh, so if you, yeah. you know, if you did your little painting competition with uh, this Underworld's Warband, all of them are good enough that you could individually put them in your list and not feel embarrassed. But uh, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't personally choose any of them. It feels very narrative with these, right? Like, Gorath the Enforcer has a very similar profile to Varkskr, um with a lot less move, well, with just a little bit less movement, um, but he is only 150 points compared to the 220 of the Varks gear. Um, uh, Velis von Fane, um, she's got an okay attack profile, but I mean, all of these fighters, like, they're not anything to write home about. You're not like, oh my gosh, I gotta keep one of these in the warband, right? Like, Again, yeah, I think Velus is the best. Velus von Fane, I think, is the best of them. But even uh -huh. Velus, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take competitively. I would, um, you know, I would play narratively, but I wouldn't take competitively. For sure, for sure. All right, let's talk about the Sepulchral Guard. You talked about the Warden being the cheapest leader there is um, at 120. Um, is he worth it? Uh, the warden's terrible, in my opinion. But the uh, the uh, the other ones, the champion, the harvester, the petitioner with sword and shield, the petitioner with sword, you can't resurrect them. Uh, so in some ways, they're worse than the really cheap other chaff options. But all of them do more point for point. You know, like the harvester with the two-inch range and respectable damage, and uh, the champion with fourteen. And, uh, wounds, you know, I think all of the really cheap ones are, are very good. Yeah, I mean, the champion is 75 points, so... Not as cheap and not the, as good, agreed. Let's compare him to the Graveguard, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's got a couple more wounds, but just not quite as good. So, um, again, I think if you're doing a narrative campaign, like, these models, the way that they look is amazing. Right, and but I actually legitimately think the harvester and both the petitioners are better than a zombie. Um, I would say for okay. competitive play, I would play all three of them. So the petitioner, especially the petitioner with the sword and shield, toughness four, ten wounds, so same as a zombie, but they do have a much better damage profile, right? Where they got three attacks, um, and one and three. So 
uh, yeah, I mean, with the sword and shield, much, much better. So, and then again, the petitioner with the sword without the shield is only 40 points. Um, it's just missing that extra bit of toughness. So, definitely your cheapest fighter in the warband. 40 point war, uh, fighter is good. Yeah, right. completely ridiculous. I mean, if you could if you could spam the petitioner with sword, it would just be completely unfair. Luckily, you can't. You can only get one. But yeah, um, yeah, that's an absurd amount of value for for so few points. Yeah, totally. Well, um, we it seems like the consensus is that we all love Soulblight Grave Lords. Uh, there's a lot to do with them. I you know I think it's great. I feel like they're a, a war band that uh, as you get some of these free rules that come out, like they just, um, they seem a little bit more thought out than some of the original war bands. Like I, I think night, you compare it to night hunt, right? Like it, it's not the same. It's not, it's not the same thought that I think went into it. Sometimes I look at night hunt as we talked about last time and I'm like, what were you thinking here? You know, but with soul blight grave Lords, they, it seems really well thought out, in my opinion. Yeah, not to get too nerdy, but I think this is where, um, you know, they've made it pretty clear that they have a linear pointing algorithm that they that they apply to every faction equally. Right. And I think um, the looking at Soulblight Grave Lords and then looking at Night Haunt is uh, just really punishing um, yeah. because you yeah. know it's like if there's something. You know, if the if one faction kind of gets the inefficiencies of your pointing algorithm better than the other faction does, it just like keeps replicating across every single fighter. <laughs> um, so that you know, like, how many times just now did I say like this is a great fighter that I would never play because you know there are even better fighters available at the same right. points cost, right? right. So um, whereas. Every single time I said that, they would be like a standout. You get really excited about this in Night Haunt. You know, like right, you would build right. you would build your Night Haunt warband around any of those fighters, but you just you don't even play them in Soulblight Gravelords. Yeah. So a lot of options. Uh, I've not. I would not be surprised to see um, a, like a good twenty percent of our factions at Nova Open Soulblight Gravelords, right? Um, that yeah, seems... it was it was them, Untamed Beasts, and Stormcast Eternals uh, yeah. at Adepticon. Those were the three factions that everybody was taken. It was it was really interesting to see. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think awesome. for three well, completely different reasons, but different yeah. different topic for another day. Right, right, for sure. Well, speaking speaking of events, let's uh, let's talk about our event at Huzzah this uh, that happened this last Saturday. Um, so I had originally put this event out to have 16 total people in there. I didn't think I was going to get 16, but I wanted to put that out there just in case uh, by some miracle we did. We ended up with four, um, which we had four players and I was the TO. I was prepared to play if needed. Um, but I, you know, I'd wish that we had like eight. We, we had a couple people that expressed interest, but then couldn't at the last minute and one person drop out. Uh, but we had four people there and we, we had an amazing time. Like it was a ton of fun. We'd played a three round tournament. Basically everybody did round Robin and, uh, you know, like, so everybody played everybody. We used the exact rules in the Toma, uh, Toma champions, uh, 2021 
and uh, we'll we can get into some of the rounds and and what we played in there. But um, we used the you know the scoring points and things like that. We did not use a hidden agenda. I didn't feel like we totally needed that since we're doing round robin. And um, yeah, it was a it was a great event. We got done and we started at one thirty, and we were done with the full event by um, five by about five. So it was a good time. Isn't it cool how you can play three rounds of Warcry and like you're still just a very functional human being afterwards? Like you <laughs> right. don't really feel fried. It's like you're yeah. still enjoying yourself the whole time. I've I've found it magic tournaments. It's like okay, we're settled in for seven rounds today, and by round four, you're not having a good time anymore. <laughs> um, but I I just find that Warcry, you know, I don't really get mentally tired until the end of round four. Yeah, and uh, I would say like Age of Sigmar. After three rounds in one day, you're like, okay, I'm I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. You know, so um, three rounds in Warcry. I was like, oh, this is uh, this is easy. We, in fact, I ended up playing. Uh, one of the other players stuck around and and said, you want to get another game in? Um, and he was our Stormcast player. His name's Lincoln. Um, and uh, he was pretty new to the game. I had showed it to him one time and he decided to come out and help support me in my event. And so he was still pretty a, like a rookie general um in terms of piloting store like a war cry list. And by the end he's like, "Dude, let's play this again. I want to play this again. This is a lot of fun. Like, I love this game, you know." So well, That's um, awesome to hear. Yeah. I mean, that's how you build build a community, right? And then it's like the next time the next time you try to have a little game day, you've got at least one one guy hooked. Yeah, he had some opinions on uh, one of the mission choices, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, what well, happened? <laughs> so well, let's uh, let's talk about it. So so uh, the first round that we played, uh, it was the treasure mission. It was the hidden or hidden orrery. Is that the one? I'm pulling it up. Oh, that one's brutal. Forsaken orrery. Forsaken Ori. Yep. Yeah, that, that one's one. so cruel. Um, so I added a twist in there, right? So the game is that, you know, you basically have a treasure in the middle. Um, you pick it up. Uh, and after four four rounds, whoever is still holding it wins. Um, the twist in here is that if a fighter is carrying the treasure at the end of their activation, allocate D6 damage points to them. Um, I added an additional twist that the movement, once you picked it up, the treasure was heavy and you could only move half your movement. I wanted to see how that would play out in the tournament setting, right? Rather than kind of a narrative one that we had used it. Um, Jason, what? Like, let's talk about the mission first. What did you think about this mission? We talked about this a little bit before, but uh, I think that when we ran the mission, because of the D6 that would be attached to whatever was holding the treasure, the game really became a three rounds of positioning and deathmatching to see who could grab who was willing to grab the treasure at the end uh, to hold on to it um, I think what you know what eventually happened in my game was you know I I waited until round three I figured oh I've got some you know I got models that can take the d6 damage I'll go ahead and run up and grab it and then run away with it real quick which is you know what I was able to do and I think I was able to uh, win the game but uh, I don't think the we talked about the mm-hmm. twists, right? I yeah. really like the D6 damage, um, but I think it's not significant enough. 
I think what would make the game really interesting is if it was 2d6 damage at the end of an activation because that makes it a real significant threat to hold the treasure from early in the game with you know maybe a, a weaker model uh, you could go anywhere from 2 damage to 12 damage uh, so you could significantly drop something that was holding onto that treasure for you. I think the slow movement would have made sense if, it, if we were incentivized to pick the treasure up early. But because nobody was really incentivized to pick the treasure up early, uh, it didn't really come into yeah. play that much. Right. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think of this mission, Dan? Uh, I think it's really list-dependent how you play it, right? I, I like what you guys talked about as far as actually just trying to position around the treasure and play chicken um, and maybe try to sort of attrition down your opponent's warband before they pick it up. Um, but I do just think if someone has a beefy flyer and they go first, it's over. Mm -hmm. So yep. and we talked about, right. We talked about that too, that if you've got something that's got like 35 wounds, like for example, my, um, I, I that had bargoyle a, a we talked about, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like that could take, the max damage every round and still be fine. You can just fly away in the corner with it. Yeah. Um, but and that's where I think that twist put that you put in was good, but it did sound, at least Jason, from what you were saying, it's like no matter what, you, like both sides of those twists aren't going to come into play. I don't know. Like it, it sounded like you weren't necessarily the most satisfied with the, with the mission. I think that um, a more, like I said, I think the, the D6 twist was was a, needed to be a little bit more powerful to be significant. And, but the um, it would have been nice to have seen uh, maybe a different twist on the mission. I like I like I like the grab and move uh, uh, missions. I think that they're interesting, but I think that they favor they favor lists that have beefy flyers because you just if you win priority you just fly in grab it and fly away and then you spend the whole time chasing them around the map yeah absolutely i think the only one like that i've seen that i kind of that i don't mind is uh the one in red harvest where each player puts three treasures down uh because you know not a lot of lists have three beefy flyers and if you are going to do three beefy flyers then uh, you're probably paying other costs elsewhere in your lists. Um, so sometimes, you know, that can be a little bit more balanced because you can put all your treasures really far from your opponent based mm -hmm. on where the deployments are. And um, But that's not really something that, uh, you know, that's not in the Tome of Champions. You'd have to kind of almost build your own deployment plus victory condition plus twist combination to make that mm -hmm. mission work um yeah so that sounds tough so in this mission this is where uh let's talk about some of the lists real quick so i can give a little bit of context uh the winner of the tournament was our gloom spike gets uh his uh army his uh, peter was his name who who ran the game it was awesome to see him he came down from pennsylvania and when I was talking to him about Warcry, he's like, yeah, I just basically play with my friends and teach them how to play. So I'm really excited to, like, play a competitive game against people who have played before, right? Um, Ooh, instead cool. of just Yeah, instead of just doing like that, here, let me teach you how to play so you can play with me type of thing, 
right? Which I think all of us are in that boat. <laughs> you know, I know I've done more teaching than actual playing um, with this game, uh, just so I can help kind of build up a community. So uh, he came with the Gloom Spike Gets. He came with a real tournament list. It was a it was a good one. He had a Bounder Boss in his shield, who was his leader, uh, with a Shooter. Two Stabas with a Barb Net. That was all in the shield. In the dagger, he had a Squig Hopper Boss uh, and two Stabas with a Barb Net. In the hammer, he had Snurk Sour Tongue from the uh, um, uh, Bladeborn Fighters. Uh, he had Bruget and Pragda Netter as well. So the here's what I saw with this. Um, this is the first game. He went up against Lincoln, who had a Stormcast Warrior Chamber list um he in the, in the hammer he had a lord celestant he also had a paladin with a star soul mace in the dagger he had the lord relictor and then in the shield he had two protectors and uh i'll go i'll kind of go through um this warrior chamber list because i actually really like it i would make one change and i think it's a very competitive list believe it or not um but what happened is he had these two protectors that um were pretty pretty tough i mean they had toughness six three inch range on their spears um did two base damage five crit damage and uh they they were um uh you know very beefy they got right up in there but peter came in and in the first two rounds rolled rolled two natural quads Mm -hmm. right that allowed yeah. him to add the damage and there was like a quad of like four and one was a five right um that allowed him to add the damage to the crits that these the um bounder boss was uh doing against those guys and in the when he rolled his damage for that one attack that did it he rolled like two crits so <laughs> he ended up doing like 40 damage to those guys over two rounds right and took them out like took both of them out and mm -hmm. so lincoln's like oh those guys are totally op and i'm like dude i don't think you understand how hot he just rolled right there they are like, op get, though you know they, <laughs> i mean yeah it was pretty like it was pretty legit like the way that he had done it um but had he not had he rolled a quad in the first one in the first round and maybe in the third round that would have been a different game because those protectors would have taken one of those uh bounder bosses out you know um because they they did enough damage and had enough reach that they could get to him so um yeah it it was interesting he was like oh man those kids are so op like it's terrible and he really didn't like um he really didn't like that list that he was playing against but uh that's just kind of how it goes sometimes it's a dice game at the end of the day it it is um I think that, you know, and I always have to check myself if I if I get hit hard because he, he hit me with the same kind of, I'll say, lethal lethality when mm -hmm. I played him. Um, and I always check myself if I feel like something's strong. I usually step back and I, I look at it a little bit, you know, let's take it out of the game uh, context of the game I played and think about that stat. Now, I I think adding the adding the face value of the ability to as additional damage to every roll on models that have four plus attacks i think that's just a little too i think it's too well, much it i think crits. you shouldn't well not even no it's not i don't think it's just the crits right it's any attack 
I thought it was just a crit. But I think it's um, let's see. Uh, I'll look. Let's, I'll look. Let's read. Let's read it. Yeah, it says uh, add the value of this ability to the damage points allocated by hits and critical hits. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the too best quad in the it's game. Way, yeah. It's way it's mm-hmm. way too much damage in yeah. a on a war cry table for one unit to put out. Yeah, uh, it was in my opinion. Yeah, there's one course, other faction that yeah, has the same that has the same ability, and yeah, those two. I can't remember which other faction it is, but it, for those two, I think it's it's absolutely the best quad in the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, look, you're doing cr- like on the crits, especially right. Like he needed the crits to um, get through those paladins' toughness, and like when he hit the crits like it was like 10 damage each crit basically well but you a know? bounder boss with strength five doesn't even really need crits you know yeah, a bounder, that's the thing the bounder boss yeah. embarrasses stormcast kind of up and down the field um a squig hopper boss oh yeah also strength five i would say yep, both yep. of those fighters just kind of uh they're the perfect stormcast killers i kind of feel bad that the new player um had to play against both of those um well it's and, gonna and be pretty brutal well, look, I, I'll say this, though. the um, He was doing the protectors who had a, a toughness of six. So oh, okay. that did make a difference. That did sure. make a difference, right? Um, so so it was really only the crits, but look, he rolled like two crits on his four attacks, mm-hmm. which did not help, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he whiffed with the other two because he had to get fives and sixes, right? So, right. Um, yeah. So it was it was not the greatest matchup for him that first round. Um, but it, it was okay. Uh, second round we played, which mission was it, Jason? It was the, it was the, uh, who can, every round you get points if you killed the most, the more points oh, of yeah. your enemy. Yeah. So this was the, um, the, basically it was a killer hunt and kill mission. Um, but it was, here, I've got it right here. It was trophy kills. Mm-hmm. Um, in Toma Champions, and so, uh, poor our poor Corvus Cabal player ended up going against Stormcast <laughs> in this round, and it just did not work out for it him. It was like wet noodles, right? Oh, wet noodles against him, and um, the Stormcast player, like he just he was throwing. I mean, he didn't even have to throw everything he had at him. It just was like those guys were dying so fast. Um, because he's got the damage, right? And those protectors, um, this is why I think that the that Stormcast list is very good. Um, you've got the protectors who only have a 3-inch move, but they have a 3-inch range on their weapons. So they have an effective 6-inch threat range on those models, which is really good for Stormcast Eternals. Uh, the Paladin with the Star Soul Mace... Again, only three inch move, but when it got there, it was doing four and four base damage, eight crit damage, and it had like a, a strength of um, five or six or something like that. So it was like hitting on threes, three pluses for most of the tournament. Um, the Lord Relictor, believe it or not, his ability is one of the best ones I've seen, one of the better ones I've seen. On a triple, you roll the number of dice that's on the face value of the ability right there and every two plus is one point of damage so like he'd see like a double five or a double six and he would make that a triple and all of a sudden he's rolling 
six dice on every two up he's doing a damage and he would knock out little chaff pieces and free up his protectors to move um so that was that was really good with the relictor um the one you the one fighter in that stormcast list that i didn't like um and i put it there i helped him build his list i put him there because he had a lot of attacks he just didn't get in a lot of fights it was the lord celestant um and on paper, he's really good, but I think that if you replaced the Lord Celestin with um, the um, prosecutor um, leader, right, the, the dudes with the wings, um, all of a sudden this list is really, really good because you have that movement, you have a flyer that's pretty beefy, right? So I think that that would have made a big difference. But our poor Corvus Cabal player, he, he went up against this warrior chamber against the hidden treasures and just really like it was just slapping up against a you know waves crashing against a rock it just really didn't work out well mm -hmm. you know uh but jason you ended up playing the gloom spike gets with your ogres right why don't you tell us about your ogres list we haven't even touched on it uh yeah so the list i brought was the one that we have posted on the website the it was a themed list right mm -hmm. so i got two lead belcher-ish running out with their wolf their little puppies and then uh, kind of three nobblers running around. So I had a Thunderfist as my leader, which is basically just a glorified lead belcher, uh, a lead belcher, uh, and two saber wolves, two nobblers, and Bushwhacker with his trap. Uh, and so this was a fun list for me. I think those saber wolves were very valuable in terms of their eight speed, and they could take a take a hit. And of course those those two lead those two lead belcher units were just pelting and doing massive damage uh, and the nobblers were doing what the nobblers did they just kind of ran around and got in the way uh, there i i enjoyed the list i think i come out of that list one thing that i really had a good time with this list is my list was only 960 points so i knew that i had some ability to tweak it after this so i felt like i did really well in fact the, the game that i lost against the uh, gloom spike gets on that second uh, round, I lost that game not because of our two lists. I lost that game because I made uh, I made several tactical errors in that game. Uh, I forgot that the I forgot that his uh, bounder, bounder boss yeah. actually flies. Um, so I was looking at him having to move around terrain and he just jumped over it and I was like, oh whoops and then you know <laughs> that was a big mistake there. So I made some tactical errors. So I think even at a, only 960 points it was, significantly strong list in terms of being able to make some tactical choices and i've already got some tweaks for it to pull up that additional 40 points to get right at a grand and add some more capabilities but i lost my second game to the to gets because like i said i made some tactical errors i forgot he could fly he bounced over he had a quad and he did the same thing to me he did something like 35 to 40 points of damage and knocked a lead belcher off the table in one hit um uh with a quad and then uh um uh, just made some movement errors with my nobblers that I could have used to try to score some points and some victories with that I messed up. So he was a, uh, Peter was a great player. He took advantage of my mistakes, uh, which is great because, you know, that means you learn. And, uh, but I felt pretty good about my list. What are you going to do to adjust it? You, you, you talked about looking at yetis, right, and things like that? Yeah, so the first and easiest answer is, which I should have come to the table with, is the lead belcher. I should have just made him a thunder Thunderfist and had a leader and a hero. Uh, you get, you know, for 10 more points, I get 
10 more hit points and one more melee attack profile. It's just kind of a no-brainer. The other thing is I can convert, yeah, I can convert both those saber wolves to yetis. Because the yetis have the, they have the exact same profile as the saber wolves, except that they have a double that the saber wolves don't. And that is basically a free six-inch move if you got an enemy near you. So the Yeti, you know, doubles are so easy to get. If you get a Yeti that moves up but is, you know, within six but just outside of movement, you can throw a double on there and you can just hop to the enemy and then you can attack. Uh, so I, I, And that puts me right at a grand, turn both those Saber Wolves to Yetis and that Lead Bilch to a Thunder Fist. So yeah, that, that's what that I'm going to do. That 15 points when, when you've already got it in your list. Absolutely, that's a yeah. no-brainer. Yeah, and I'll tell you, there were a few times where my saber wolves ran across the map. They did a really good job getting to where they needed to go, but they were just slightly out of range with that first movement that forced me to have to take a second movement to position for next round. So if I had had that double with the yetis, I could have jumped in and still gotten a whack in that turn. So I think it I think will be interesting to see how it plays out. The problem is is that I hate the Yeti models. <laughs> the way they look. So Yeah, but we'll I see. don't think there's a lot of like third party good there Yetis isn't. out there either. <laughs> so we're right? Trying to find them. Yeah. I've been searching <laughs> for days. You know, but, uh. The uh, the other thing that I think we kinda learned one of, one of the big lessons learned from this um, tournament in my opinion was how important the bonus moves are. Like those, if you can yeah. get an ability with bonus moves, like it is so powerful. So uh, we saw this with the Stormcast list. Yep. They have a double that is, I mean, any unit can use it. If if there's a wounded model within six inches of them, a friendly wounded model within six inches, they can use a double to give themselves a bonus move. And um, our new player realized the importance of that very early on, and he was using it to great effect, um, positioning his Stormcast to get them to where they needed to be. And uh, especially with those protectors, man, because now you have a 9-inch threat range with those things, you know. So um, those bonus move, uh, like, don't ever discount them. Those, I think, are some of the strongest abilities in the game. And what a great way to give bonus kind of maneuverability to stormcast who are really slow and high armor and it's like oh but you know when their friends in danger that's when they get their hustle on i think mm -hmm. yeah. you know that's a really cool way to kind of put the lore into the mechanics of the game i, I really like that do you think that that do you think that that is okay at being a double i mean i i agree with you guys that those bonus moves for a double are some of the best most powerful things in the game. I play Corn Demons from time to time, and the Gorehound has access to that, where, you know, it's a big league, like, damage-dealing fighter, right? And so then the fact that you can move, you can go take something out 16 inches away at the cost of a mm -hmm. double um, is <laughs> pretty incredible. And right. if it yep. weren't for how bad the rest of Corn Demons are... <laughs> um, you know that 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 fighter would be kind of carrying like one of the more competitive factions in the game now luckily uh all of the corn demons leaders are kind of garbage um because the the gorehound doesn't have the leader rune mark but um yeah it, it is very serious i think all the models that get bonus activations really activations of, a free activation of any flavor is just always so valuable i mean you know we're talking about like 
half of the games you're using onslaught which is one extra attack which is good but a, an extra attack is a 50 50 shot at doing two damage you know it's right, right. it's uh it's useful to have but it's on rate i mean what you can do with an entire activation versus what you can do with one attack is co just completely we were in different zip codes right mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah is i think it's interesting you know you've got the standard you've got the standard action um what's it called that gives you plus one to your movement Mm -hmm. uh, rush. That anyone could take if you're just like, yeah, rush. I don't know what I'm supposed to do uh, on this turn. I got an extra double. I'll just add one to the movement so I can better position myself. But and I use rush all the time. Oh, totally. All the time. Um, but then you've got the faction ones that tweak it a little bit. Like the ogres, I think you add half the value of the ability rounding up to the next move action they make, which is slightly better than rush considering that the most you could ever add is six, uh, three. And you know, uh, if you do rush, you're adding two. Right. Uh, so if you, you, want, if you need to do a double move, there, yeah, yeah. So it's it's slightly better for a double. Uh, so it, it is interesting to see how the different factions take advantage of that additional uh, movement uh, there. I think the stormcast one is is really powerful, um, but once again, it's not OP like with the protectors. Right. You get an, an additional move. Sweet. Once again, it's just three inches. Right. Right. I think that's where it's balanced <laughs> out, right? Yeah. I, I think it's balanced out because the the most movement that they had was three. Now, yeah. um, the if you put that prosecutor uh, leader in there that has a movement of, I think, ten is what his movement yeah. is, like that could really um, sway things. But really, you're only with, – with that list that he had, you're really only going to have one flyer anyway. Um because you need some you need some boots on the ground, um, as it were. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, the real um, strength for those extra movements come with the larger units with the quad. The, you know, the general yeah. or the general quad anyone can use it gives you a bonus move and then a bonus attack. Uh, you're you're throwing those on big guys that have like you know eight movement. Now they're getting eight free inches across the board, and then they swing, and then right. they can swing again if they pulled the if they pulled the ability at the right time in their activation. Yeah, that fly 10 inches across the board, attack yep. three times, is just yeah. like, it's on a whole nother level than what any other <laughs> any yeah. other uh, quads do in, in the game. Yep. For sure. For sure. So uh, the last round that we had, we did Fleeting Glory, which you basically had three um, objective markers. Um, and during the twist was, at the end of the first battle round, you'd roll off the player who won gets to choose to burn one objective. And then in the next battle round, the other player burns another objective. Um, so you end up fighting over one objective. Uh, Jason, you ended up playing Stormcast in this one, right? Um, I'm not mm -hmm. going to really talk about the Gitz Corvus Cabal game because that didn't last very long either. Um, poor Corvus Cabal. They just were not, they were out leagued in this tournament. They just didn't have uh, the fighters that they needed to do their job. The funny thing is, I think if Corvus plays Stormcast on Fleeting Glory, I think, you know, Corvus is probably in the advantage there. Um, so it's mm -hmm. like, and then right. I can't think yeah. of a worse warband to have to play against than, um, than Gloomspite on Fleeting Glory because 
uh, their big guys, you know, you burn an objective that has their big flyers on it. Well, they just go fly to the other objective, right? You haven't achieved anything. Um, right. And then their netters, uh, they can burn an objective that you're sitting on, and then their netters can stop you from getting to the other objective, mm-hmm. which yeah. is just completely unreasonable. <laughs> um, yeah, and they so, don't have enough oomph to kill yeah. those netters in, like, like one turn, really. Do you know what I mean? Unless they've got a lot of models there to do it. So I mean, the Shrike you know, Talon and the guys with spears do, but that's less than half of your warband. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, Corvus Cabal was struggling a little bit. And, and again, this was a guy, um, the guy that was playing Corvus Cabal, I think this was his second time ever playing Warcry as well. Yeah. So I don't think he really knew how to play his Warband. Um, like, he's learning. He's learning it, right? And right. and learning, what, like, what's good. But, uh, Jason, the you big... ended up playing. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just the big Corvus fans, they all talk about um, getting two Shrike Talons and then using mm-hmm. Terrain Tricks. And because yeah. you get that terrain combo that um, makes strike talons really good, mm-hmm. but yeah, Corvus is one of the one of those warbands where they're just a huge winner from getting the double box, you know, the Age of Sigmar box instead yep. of the Warcry box. But um, you know, new players don't know that. Like, obviously, GW doesn't tell you that because they're right. giving you double right. the plastic for only ten more dollars. They're not going to yeah, right. advertise that in a big way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, Jason, you played Stormcast in this one and I think you pulled a you pulled out the victory on this one though, right? I did. Yeah. It was um I really like this mission. I like missions that um have a dynamic effect uh into the rounds. You don't know what happens. And in this one, you know, the uh at round two you roll off and whoever wins the roll off can burn one of the objectives. And then in the next round the other player burns an objective of their choice. So right. basically at um at round three there is only one objective left on the table and you kind of center on it. Um I played this one knowing that that was gonna happen. Um, yeah. And knowing that Stormcast only had a movement of three, I did a little, you know, I played it in a little mini tar pit point of view. Like, you know, I, I basically blocked his protectors in on a corner objective that I knew I was going to burn with really cheap models. So how much do those protectors cost at their point value? Just, you know, off the top of your head. Ooh, They're in the 160s. I think? Yeah. 160s yeah. Now. Yeah, 160s. yeah. So, you know, I basically locked two protectors up with two nobblers. You know, yeah. and those are each 45 points each on an objective. Let him get the points on that objective, burned it the next round, and then he couldn't get those guys in the game for the rest of the game because they were too far away from the other objectives. So I think um, I really like the the burning aspect of uh, of these, and I knew I had I knew I had more models on him than he could based on his movement and his reach. So I just stayed slightly out of his threat range. Um, so that he would have to double move to get up to me, and I just kind of kited him around a little bit. Uh, that said, um, I think both of us were pretty evenly matched in terms of yeah. like our roles. It's not like one of us was rolling quads and the other was only getting doubles. I think we, our dice was about evenly as hot as the other person, and it was just a it was just a good tactical match of movement on the board. Mm-hmm. You did a good job in that game. I remember watching one point. Um, he was thinking of coming on to one of the objectives and you threw out, uh, you used Bushwhacker to throw out the trap Yeah. to block access to, you didn't put it right on the objective. 
You yeah. made it so he ha- would have had to go basically way around to get to that objective um, because he did not want to take that 2d6 damage from that trap. Yeah, that trap was interesting. Um, you know, I think in two of my games it made it worked uh, well. And it doesn't, it's not hard to avoid, um, but it does make your opponent pause for at least one round and maybe rethink their movement because 2d6 is like it doesn't matter what your toughness is you're going to take 2d6 uh and with his protectors who he you know he kind of had on the table like look these guys are going to run up and do nothing because they're tough it's like oh it doesn't matter you're going to take 2d6 if you hit this yeah so it was it's a it's an interesting you know for 40 points to be able to put this thing out that does a little bit of movement control Great. Bushwhacker himself is just a little pea that can be, you know, squished super fast. But but that trap is fun to play with. I think it is highly situational. Um, and, and in some, uh, probably some missions, it's probably not as useful. Man, I'm just loving, like, hearing you talk about all the play that is in this Ogre Maw Tribes list. <laughs> Between, you know, you have the speed, you have the shooting, you have the melee chaff and then you know knoblars are so funny because it's like you can have just a few knoblars and they're there to get in the way or you can sort of mass knoblars and massing knoblars is really funny because they don't really attack anything very well but then when you attack them they swarm on you and their damage actually adds up really fast so um oh man yeah i think you're going to do really well at nova i'm excited to see like once you get this extra thunder fist and once you find some yetis and you've got access to those uh extra movement shenanigans man this is uh just hearing all of the everything you say about kind of all your options all the options that aren't necessarily obvious when you just see it written down uh Mm -hmm. just it seems like a really beautiful like symphony on the on the board it, it is. There's one thing about the list I'm curious. I haven't really had an opportunity to use yet, and that is triples. You know, tri- I would say quads are those, like, one-time thing that's going to come. Doubles happen all the time. Triples happen here and there. When you get a, when I get a triple, I usually think, okay, now I'm, I'm going to be really tactful with this triple. Nobblers have a triple that I've overlooked a lot, that I, I haven't seen come into play a lot. They have a trap triple. That basically says anytime anybody ends a move activation within three inches of the snobbler, they take impact damage. And I'm I'm curious to see if that's worth burning a triple on, if you have a nobbler positioned in a way to kind of just uh, be you know be a chaff that's maybe trying to block something. Put them in the way, throw that triple on, and not use that triple for something else. Right, that's the key. <laughs> And see if it's worth the impact damage that it could cause. Because you'd almost rather use the triple as a double to get free yep. movement or an extra yep. attack on your thunder. Exactly. Fist. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I don't know. I'm curious. I might try it one time just to see. I will probably regret it, but <laughs> but we'll figure it out. Because it says I mean, any time, not the next time, right? So right. maybe against a horde warband, maybe right. that could be good. Like if you're all if you beat them to the objective, but you know they're gonna then overwhelm you on the objective. I mean that would be a situation. It'd be good. Yeah, I mean, what, so wait, who remembers off the top exactly what impact damage is? Isn't it if you end a movement within a certain range of the point? Yeah, but how and how much is it again? 
So it says, until the end of the battle, this is a sneaky traps one, right? Until the end of the battle round, each time an enemy, each time an enemy fighter yep. finishes a move action within three inches of this fighter, that fighter suffers impact damage. Um, and I oh, am going to assume. Oh, that's the D three. Yeah, yeah, that's the D. That's what I was trying to look for: is the amount of damage that impact damage is D three. So, so it's not much, but it could be a way if you park that nobbler on objective and you see a horde moving in, just to to throw dam, you know, to throw damage across. I don't know if it's worth it. The, <laughs> we're gonna have to try. Here's the other it, thing see. too: is the, I think the first time that you were to use that in a game, and you said um, every time, every time a model gets within like. Uh, three inches of him, they're gonna take three d three damage. It, if you just say that, it affects uh, yeah, the way you're that they get play in their the head. game. It'll you're totally get in be their in head. their head. Even though it's like, okay, well, one damage, who cares? Two damage, who cares? Even three damage, who cares? Like, I need that person near that objective or whatever, right? Um, but I think I think it's enough of a psychological to be like, holy crap! Like, they're just gonna take damage just like that. Oh, dang. Okay. You know, and and that that will play with the way that they think about their strategy. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I'll try it some one of these times and see what happens. So, like yeah, I said, was, I'm I'm thinking I'll I'll wish I had used that triple for something else, but I'll let you know. <laughs> I I think we were spoiled this weekend, Dan. Um, like I said, we had four we had four people playing. Um, Forrest Cabal needed a little bit of uh, list love there, um, but that's okay because he was playing with the you know model straight out of the box. But we had, I think, three very competitive war bands. Um, the Gloom Spites Gets one was obviously very competitive. Yeah, very good. Um, the uh, the Ogres one that Jason was running was very competitive, and I as, as Lincoln was moving on throughout the evening, he was becoming way more proficient with that Stormcast list. Mm -hmm, and I think sure. the next time that he plays that, and if you put a fly, flyer in there, um, that's that is a that's going to be a tough, tough list that um, I would not have expected from the Warrior Chamber, basically. You know, I think the Warrior Chamber, is, they're known for being, like, really slow, really tough, but hard to get where they need to be. And uh, the protectors with the extra three inches really kind of tips the scales a little bit towards them because mm -hmm. they're tough and tough and have reach, you know? Yep. So anyway, it was a great event. Um, I am hoping to do another event before the Nova open just cause I want to, you know, tweak some things and run it again. So I'm hoping to run another event. Um, with that said, uh, Jason, I know you and I are going to the event at the, um, at, at uh, Gen Con. Oh, you're both, both going to Gen to Con? That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think so, there's going to be a good turnout for Gen Con. I've heard of yeah. a few people who are going. Yep. So we both have tickets for that. We're excited about that. And again, this is one of those things, right? Because like Age of Sigmar has a three-game uh, three tournament on Thursday there. And I'm like, do I want to bring a whole army and spend a whole day at Gen Con playing Age of Sigmar? Not really. You know mm, what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm there for, like, board games and other things like that. But, hey, I'm willing to do a four-and-a-half-hour tournament because that's what I would spend in another gaming session anyway. You know what I mean? Like, four-and-a-half-hour tournament? Perfect. Perfect. Let's do it. You know? And so we we decided let's, let's play Warcry. It's going to be great. So, yeah, we're excited. Uh, we're excited about that. And, and I think the more events that we can get out there, again, this kind of plays into what we're talking about with the, um, you know, the big, the big tournaments that maybe GW will help sponsor. 
So if you've got questions about running tournaments or running events, um, I'm happy to answer them. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, you know, leave comments. Uh, come into our Discord. Ask questions. Um, because it really isn't that difficult to run a tournament, and we had a lot, a lot of fun about it. I can even go into, like, how to use Best Coast Pairings um, as a great way to uh, help run the tournament because that, that made it actually pretty smooth um, for us and, and keeping track of things, even though I did have a user error at one point uh, on my end that kind of mis misaligned our winner, um, but we got it figured out. And so, um, yeah, it was a great event, and... Um, and feel free to ask us about this stuff. But uh, otherwise, uh, keep rolling the dice. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Hit the like, share, and subscribe. And um, we hope to hear from you soon. So everybody have a great night. See ya. Yeah, good night.